You are listening to the Enormocast. Here at the Enormocast, we truly believe in the all audio podcasting format where you can listen while you drive, work, wash your cat, or even prancer size. We're going to really cut the noose and let it loose with the prancer size gallop. But climbing nerds do not live on words alone, which is why Black Diamond invites you to tune into BDTV, a video series that delves beyond the numbers into the personalities and motivations behind our beloved sport. The latest episode, episode six, features French boulderer, Bloussard, Jackie Godoff. Godoff. I don't know. It's French. There's probably a bunch of letters you don't even pronounce. Either way, if you consider yourself a student of the history of climbing, or if you mistakenly think that bouldering was invented 15 years ago in a gym in California, then you need to check out The Master of Moves. Also, stay tuned past the credits on today's episode for a conversation with Dan Mursky about the making of his film, The Width of Life, featuring a personal hero of mine, Dave Pegg. That's BDTV on YouTube, Vimeo, BlackDiamondEquipment.com. That's BDTV featuring the characters behind the lines. Over the years, friends and family have said to me, you know, Chris, there's more to life than climbing. Well, needless to say, I don't talk to those people anymore. I miss you, Mom. But it appears Sportiva believes this too. Besides making the best climbing shoes out there, they make stuff for the long approach to nowhere, known as trail running and hiking. Do you like to run or walk aimlessly? Then check out the super light Helios 2 Mountain Runner or the Trango TRKGTX. Apparently, one acronym was not enough for these mighty boots. And frankly, though they're sold as trail boots, they look technical enough that Bonatti himself would have given his last cannoli for a pair back in the day. So check out all the other stuff Sportiva has besides fantastic climbing shoes at Sportiva.com or your nearest high-end outdoor retailer. It turns out they're even into skiing, if you can believe that. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. We really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Norman Cast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is about 10.30 here in Colorado, May 27th, the end of May. And this is episode 105 of the Norman Cast, a conversation with Canadian unassuming hard man, unlikely hard man, in fact, Will Stanhope. But 
before we get to that. A couple things coming up. I want to remind folks that uh, the Lander International Climbing Festival is coming up. And uh, I'll be up there with some friends with my entourage here from Carbondale. We've made it up there a few years running now. And uh, it's always a good time. Not really doing much officially with the program. But uh, if everything works out, the mobile studio will be up there. You'll recognize it. It's easily recognizable. Um, If you do recognize it, come by and say hello. Maybe you'll get a beer or a shot or just a handshake. Who knows? Stop by, say hello. Uh, That's really one of the reasons I'm up there as the official Enormacast. Otherwise, I'm just up there to see some friends and have a good time at the climbing festival. People always tell me, like, Caloose, don't go to climbing festivals. That's when everybody else is there. And the crags will be mobbed. I'm like, well, yeah, but you go to climbing festivals for other reasons besides climbing. And if you don't know what those other reasons are, come to Lander, see what else is going on besides the climbing. And the climbing's good. And there's room for everybody up at Wild Iris. The weather is cooler. You can get some pitches in at sinks and a few other places. So 13th through the 16th of July. And I think I might've said it was the second weekend of July. And that's traditionally when it is, but... Who knows why, but it's the third weekend of July, 13th through the 16th. Check it out, climbersfestival.org for information, tickets. If you want to sign up for clinics, see who the famous people are that are going, go check it out. Also, I added a little bit of bonus content to the end of this episode. I recorded a little conversation with Joe Kinder that I tacked on to the front of an episode a couple times ago, 102, I think that was, with Rebecca and uh, in support of something that Black Diamond was doing. So I'm, I'm just trying to kind of figure out some ways to uh, change the show up a little bit, maybe do a little bit different types of advertising for the sponsors. Sponsors are a big part of why the Enormacast still exists, along with you guys' donations and the other help that you do, whether it's following Facebook or reviewing the podcast on iTunes or stuff you can do to help out. But the sponsors are on with the program because they believe in the program, and I believe in them. There's folks who make good quality gear that I actually use. So that's how it all works out. And uh, I know some people chafe at advertising in any type of climbing media, but it's part of the show. I try to uh, spice it up with my own dumb sense of humor or very, very obscure references, sometimes more obtuse, sometimes more obscure. But um, that's just part of the show. So hopefully you put up with it or you actually enjoy it. I laugh at myself sometimes when I do the commercials. So anyway, maybe that's asking too much of you to actually laugh at my humor. But so occasionally I'm going to do some bonus uh, stuff at the end, not just always sponsored, but uh, just ideas that I come up with. I don't know. That's how the show works. So stick around for that. If you're interested in a conversation with Dan Mursky about his film on BDTV called Width of Life about our friend Dave Pegg. All right, I think that's it for business. Let's move on to our conversation with Will Stanhope. This is another episode full of reminiscence because I've known Will for many years since he was a young up-and-coming climber just on his first international trip after cutting his teeth up in Squamish and other places in Canada. And it's been a real pleasure to watch this kid grow and become one of the more accomplished adventure climbers around and certainly a hero, a prodigal son from Canada. So this one goes out to the Canadians, the Canada, the Canadians up there in America's hat. Will is a humble guy. He's got a very dry sense of humor 
and uh, he'll keep you in stitches when you're around him. He's a nice guy. He's a humble guy, unassuming, but he's still got the eye of the tiger, this guy. It's in there behind that baby face. So it was a real pleasure to sit down and talk to an old friend. And it's been, uh, it's been quite a joy to watch the little fledgling fly over the years. Mildly turned on, which is good. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll just start. We'll just start in the past. Okay, just like go into the wayback machine. Uh, so I remember, and this is this is a fantastical retelling of a story. Or I probably retold the story in a vastly different way. But when we met in Indian Creek, and this was a decade ago, minimum. I would guess, or about a decade ago. I think it was probably about 2005 or six. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? Yes. When you and Jason showed up yep. in the van? Yeah, yeah. Rolling Big in blue the van. van. Yeah. You were telling me a story or a scam that you guys had about getting continental breakfasts. Yeah, we read about it in Gripped, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this was like a, a remake yeah. of, of some other scam. Yeah, we were in Bishop and we were kind of, and I totally don't recommend this. Uh, but yeah, we would go into continental breakfast at the hotels in the morning and yeah, eat food. Right. But you had like a whole, you had a whole like scam going on. Yeah. I think I had a pillow with me. Right. Which I think was ultimately my downfall. <laughs> but uh, what was the original thinking behind the pillow? Uh, j- just to make it look like we were staying there. I can't really recall. But, well, uh, the thing was, is that you, um, you know, you're, you're, notoriously baby-faced anyway. Mm-hmm. And you were, what, probably 17? Is that right? Yeah, I was 17, but 18, you, 18, and I looked like I was 12. Yeah, I mean, that's like something that people throw around, that, mm-hmm. oh, I looked like I was 12. But honestly, like, you looked like you were, like, just not even a mature 12, like, of just a solid, like, if you had said I'm 12, everybody would have been like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. So anyway, that fits into the pillow yeah, and, yeah. The, and, the, and the we're staying there scam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, basically on like the third continental breakfast in Bishop, things went a little haywire and uh, the lady at the front desk saw that something was fishy and yeah, the the cops came and basically drove us to the Bishop city limits, if I remember correctly, or or said to leave. Right. But they didn't, yeah. Didn't he take all your booze? Yeah, we... (laughs) Totally right. Yeah, I had a fake ID and my my name was Antonio Theodosio. I was like, I was a 28-year-old swarthy Greek guy. Where did you get that? Uh, this guy I worked with at the at this job I had. Was his, that was his that name? Was his or name. Or it was like his it expired. It was like McLovin. You guys just yeah, made Yeah, no, up. it was like it was his, his expired Ontario driver's license or something that I got off of him and... Um, did you yeah. resemble him at all? I mean, is there a picture on this thing? Yeah, I didn't resemble him at all. But we it worked in Yosemite. Oh. Because some of the employees there aren't, you know, perhaps the most astute. Mm-hmm. So we had good luck. And, and um, 
in the valley and my buddy jason used it a fair bit too and he's like he's almost albino yeah jason crock yeah jason crock and uh yeah (laughs) super funny stories well you guys showed up in in indian creek this was like your first climbing trip Mm -hmm. and uh i mean you're 17 he's 18 you're 18 he's 19 something like that like two like fully white boys like wide-eyed rolling in, into Indian Creek and you guys ended up camping with us and a bunch of other people and uh, it was like it's funny to think back because you know I rarely like you rarely get to see somebody like being formed as a climber you know what I mean yeah, that's yeah. kind of like what you guys were doing like on this like total road trip so tell me about like getting out of high school and how it comes about that your parents um you know, not to disparage their sort of parenting uh, techniques, but just said, okay, boys, off you go in your little van and down to America to go rock climbing. For how long? How long was that trip for? It was a few months, right. for sure. Yeah, we. I wanted to go to Yosemite forever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jason just got out of high school. I went to college for a year, but was just totally not into it. Okay. Just couldn't wait to hit the road. So was it the other way around? Are you older than Yeah, him? I'm one year oh, okay. older than Jason. Yeah, see, I, I got confused. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we bought an enormous blue van and just pointed it south to the valley. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just remember rolling into Yosemite and Tomas Huber was there, like, throwing laps on Midnight Lightning with his long flowing hair mm-hmm. and drinking King Cobra. And, yeah, it was, it was a really kind of heady experience for, you know, Two kids from the suburbs. Yeah, so I like again, like uh, you know, a suburban existence. Again, like what what went down? Your folks were just totally fine with it. Like, did you have yeah, to yeah, do they were cajoling, okay. conniving, and no, no, like no. That's like had you just thumbs up. Simply uh, either proved yourself to be responsible or like were such a pain in the ass. They were like, all right, beat it. Well, I was eighteen at the time. Right, you right. know, it's like I was kind of could do my own thing and mm-hmm. driving for a few years and right. Yeah, it was all systems go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I totally remember meeting you down there, and yeah, you playing the guitar, playing "Don't Look Back in Anger" Don't. by oh, by Oasis. <laughs> And it totally turned me on to British rock. The weird thing is I don't remember. The weird Dude, thing is I don't remember this. It was such a rollicking version. I, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that to, on the walk over here. And I have, who was I playing? Who was the other guitar player there that we were playing with? I can't remember. So a lot of those guys, you know, it's like one of those classic things where we spent a month together and then all went our separate ways over the last... I mean, shit, that was, uh, like I said, it was a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at least it was, I think, like... Is that right, 2005 or six? Like 2006, I believe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... But yeah, I don't know what was going on. But yeah, it was a pretty motley crew of um, all different abilities, too, in that in that crew up on the Slick Rocks. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. I, I'd never seen the Utah desert before, and you, DDA. DDA? Samuel yeah. Anthematon. Remember that guy? Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you remember? Uh, do you remember um, the British girl whose hand got all infected, Francesca or something like that? No. Dreadlocks and her, and she got staff in her hand, and it like maybe you weren't around for that, but it got <laughs> it like gnarly. In the oh, it was so gnarly. Well, it was because of that. It was because everybody was like living out there, and her hand got so enormous, like it just was this crazy balloon hand, and then. Somebody there like convinced her to go to the doctor. Like I actually saw it afterwards after it had come down a bit and it was totally crazy. But yeah, somebody had to go to the doctor. 
The other thing I remember happening to me there is I got sick, like just living in the desert, you know, cold, warm, living in a tent and went down to, and went to the doctor in Moab and basically like he wouldn't give me any medicine. You know, he was one of these like anti, like don't, you know, don't hand out antibiotics to people like just, he's like, you're young and, and healthy and like, you're going to get better. And the Mormon naturopath, I don't know what his deal was, but I was like, look, I had to like lay it down for him. I'm like, look, I'm living in a tent, like in the dirt. I need to get better. Like, I'm not going to get better. I'm not going to be wrapped in a bed in a, on a couch watching TV here. So finally he like broke and wrote me a script for a fricking some antibiotics so I could get better down in the desert there. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, that's critical. So, so how did you end up a kid that was like dying to go to Yosemite? Uh, I've always loved climbing literature. I would like, I remember the, a, a climbing gym in North Van, somebody dropped off a box of like old climbing magazines and I would just pour over them and reread articles again and again. And there's just so much lore and great stories from the Valley that it's, I kind of knew I had to go there at mm-hmm. some point and. Yeah, when I got there, I was just totally enthralled by the place. Were you a big outdoor climber already? Yeah, we'd, we'd kind of hitchhike up the Sea to Sky to Squamish. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of our local cliff. Or, you know, big older climbers for rides. We were doing that when we were in our early teens. And you you and Jason were like that? Yeah, me and Jason were yeah. Yeah, super tight and climbing all the time. Uh-huh. And you both, mostly got your start in gyms? Yeah, yeah, at the gym in North Van, that's where I met him. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, so kind of a typical thing. That's a, that's a cool part of it, though, is because so many gyms I've been to have that old stack of, uh, of climbing magazines that yeah. most people just walk on past them, but there's always these people that, like... Yeah, and I was obsessive. I would, like, reread articles and be able to quote stuff. And, right. Yeah. What kind of, like, do you remember anything specific, like, about the who... Of what, of who you were reading about or anything like that? There's a lot of Largo. Uh huh. Totally a lot of Largo and Peter Croft's writing about the area. And yeah, I would, I would just read anything. Sure. Yeah, it was insatiable. And then you walked into Yosemite and the first thing you see is, is Tomas Huber. Oh, Tomas Huber throwing yeah. lap upon lap. And like we couldn't even do the first move on the sure. night lightning. It's just so greasy and we're road lagged. And we had a, a whole bunch of really funny experiences like trying to. Jason and I were trying to tried to climb the South A wall. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, like you lead the first day and I'll lead the second day. We'll do it in two days and trying to Jumar with a giant pack. And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're, we're just kind of figuring it out. Like we just, how did, how really far know. did you get? I got, uh, I had like every piece of gear I own and I was, I got stuck in the hollow flick. Oh yeah. And, uh, I just remember kind of oozing out of the hollow flick thinking like, I'm about to take like a 150 foot winger here. And, uh, Ammon McNeely was on the Jolly Roger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over on the mammoth terraces. Like, I think he was having a King Cobra and he was, had his pirate flag out. And, and I just, I remember oozing down the hollow flake and like arriving back at the belay, totally teary eyed. And I was like, Jason, do you think Ammon saw me cry? <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Yeah, did. And Jason's like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, you have to pendulum into that thing and then just climb. Yeah, yeah. And I was gear, like, well, right? it's like, I mean, the betas don't take yeah. any gear. And I just like had a crushing rack on. Yeah. Something would fit somewhere. And we'd never climbed anything wide before. Right. Squamish is pretty, uh, yeah, the, the cracks are a lot slimmer. So, mm-hmm. so did you, um, did you get there in one day though? Yeah, yeah. You got, you we climbed got, up the free blast and yeah. got over to there. That's a pretty good day. 
For yeah, the first it was big wall attempt. But we that's where we bailed. Were you hauling or crushed. did you pre-haul? No, Jason was jugging with the giant pack on. Oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and that's then we tried to go though. I'm going to I'm going to give you props for that. Yeah. Well, I feel like with that valley climbing there's 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 no short there's no shortcuts to like kind of taking a beating right. and learning it the super hard way like right. the slap like don't do that again. Right. You know, I don't know. I'm not a big believer in like learning in a book and you kind of just have to go and I don't know. Take your knocks a little like bit. Like jugging and wrapping with with a um, with a big pack on, especially wrapping with it on, which yeah. is a, like a super dangerous newbie. Oh yeah, newbie uh, play. Mm-hmm. Like it can get really dangerous, like really quickly. Oddly, oh it yeah, seems no, like I mean, it's like it suffocates you. Yeah, and jugging with it's one thing, but yeah. wrapping with it is like people kick off, and all of a sudden it's just like. You're, you're like a hair's breadth away from losing control and like eating shit and you can't breathe and it's trying to flip you upside down. Yeah, it's pretty bad news. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's not a go. So what, what, what came next? Um, my buddies, uh, Jeremy Blumel and Craig McGee, we're going to go climb the nose. And Jason and I kind of tagged along like, well, you know, I guess there's a little bit more of a safety margin if we both, you know, both parties decide to wrap. We've got two ropes. Right. So... At that time, I was like also Jumarring with like one Jumar and a Grigri. That mm-hmm. was our method. And um, I like dropped a shoe off like underneath the great roof at some point. And, and yeah, it was it turned into like a Nara. We tried to do it in a day and it turned into okay. like a kind of 28 hour all night thing. I remember Jason taking some huge wingers off the changing corners in the middle of the night, like ping ponging down. <laughs> Yeah. So you dropped a shoe. Did you have another shoe or now you in a sock? I have my runners, but oh, okay. I, I was out of the leading. I dropped right. a climbing shoe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, that was convenient. Yeah, totally. It was like, <laughs> you're lead, bud. But yeah, we kind of topped out at dawn and shuffled down. and Yeah, we, we'd never really had an all-nighter before. Right. It's kind of a, yeah, it's a wild experience for young kids. Yeah, totally. That yeah. sounds awesome. No, it was cool. In retrospect, it was super cool. Yeah. Huddling in the space blanket. Right. Kind of like underneath the last bolt ladder on the nose. And like, I think that same season, Tommy did uh, the free rider in the nose in a day free. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I was such like on another stratosphere. Right. I couldn't, could barely climb it in a day with all the tricks. And right. Yeah. But that's a good go again, like to try to even attempt to climb in a day. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, you, there's no shortcut. You just kind of right. got to go take your lickings there. Right. Right. What else did you, did you guys have any like unmitigated triumphs during that, that first nope. visit or was it all just beat down? No, I think that the, Although the, that's the triumph- a pretty triumphant day yeah. or a day and a half. Yeah, we got caught in kind of a, almost an electrical storm at the top of half dome, trying to do that in a day and yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a crazy amount of success. <laughs> it was just a lot of beat down. Um, but yeah, critical learning moments and then did you guys roll straight to the creek mm-hmm. yeah and we pinned it across the desert and met you it came out showed up in the creek <laughs> yeah totally that's funny because i i don't know why but we i don't know if i remember you talking about any of these things we're probably a little bit embarrassed or whatnot really yeah, it wasn't the most rollicking right success successful ever. trip yeah but it solidified something in you to 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 keep pursuing this whole thing oh yeah it's just yeah. the wildest experiences i would ever had in my life right you know it's like 
it was impossible to kind of go back at that point. And you had had enough experience in, in Squamish, like on big roots and we did and have an idea of like a dirtbag climbing community and everything else. Mm-hmm. But everything in Squamish is so piddly compared to the Valley. You know, we, we kind of, we thought we were decent trad climbers. Mm-hmm. And then we like, I got bouted on the, the slippery hollow flake pitch. Oh yeah. You know, if I, like I was like, I know I climbed a few five twelves in Squamish and you know, I thought it was decent. And then I right. just like, you know the stuff that like uh, Royal Robinson climbing tennis shoes we could we couldn't do. Yeah, he would lucky to be have ten, tennis shoes. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. That's what like five nine I think on the topo. I think it might be a eighter. Oh right. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I once climbed the entire flake. You know, if you go if you go like the the newer way to do the um. You can do it on the free rider, like you go all the way down. Oh, right? but like the Bermuda Dunes. Is that yeah, the but the to... Bermuda Dunes. Yeah. yeah, like you you come up and you start in it when it's just a little seam. Oh, cool! And then you're like, it's like a 200 foot pitch to climb it into hands, and then in you know, like you do on the on the free rider. But um, if you if you don't do that bolted traverse, which I don't think people really do anymore. No, everyone lowers so. all the way down or down yeah, climbs. Down climbs. All the that's way. the way I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, but that's pretty cool to go all the way down. There's a little bit different experience oh, than totally. like swinging into it and then just trying to like crab up it. Oh man, I, that was seriously. I think the closest call I've ever had. Like, I seriously thought I was gonna bite it. Yeah, yeah. It was the only time I've ever burst into tears on leap. <laughs> <laughs> Before or since. That's it? Yeah. Really? It. Yeah. Wow. Good job, man. Mm-hmm. I've cried on lead once. Have you? Yeah. Aid climbing, of course. Where, on which route? In, uh, in the, uh, have I told this story before? I don't know. In the uh, Fisher Towers, actually. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was like uh, on this route called World's End, and I'm, I let out soloing, so there's no one to commiserate with. And, mm-hmm. you know, did a bunch of standard kind of rurping and things like that. But nothing good, you know, nothing mm-hmm. good. And on the topo, there was supposed to be a bolt somewhere in this pitch. Mm-hmm. And then you get up and there's like, have you ever climbed there? You've climbed in the Fishers, haven't you? Yeah, I've yeah. the finger feet. Okay. You, you, you remember the bands where there'd be cobbles? Yeah. Yeah. There's like a couple prominent ones mm-hmm. on the tower. Yeah. And then you like pass through like 30 feet where there's cobbles stuck in the, like spread out cobbles. Yeah. So there's like a cobble and then typically there's an empty hole. Yeah, where there used to be a cobble. So I'm like up there, and I'm 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 putting uh, tie off webbing on the cobbles, like kind of like uh, slinging these cobbles, basically. And so you would try to find a cobble that stuck out. If you can imagine the sphere of of the cobble that stuck out beyond, you know, the apex of the sphere. So there was yeah, actually yeah. a flat bit on top. That sounds horrifying. And while you're hanging on it, meanwhile, there's like this. Uh, empty hole next to you where there used to be a cobble so then you're running through this scenario of this cobble ripping out while you're on it so i do and and then also as you'd high step i'd i if you can imagine like my fingers would be all pianoed on top of it like holding the sling on like two hands Mm -hmm. all my fingers like pressing down on the sling so it wouldn't slide and then i'd like high step and do another one and i did a few of them in a row and i'm like i can't see the bolt like it's gone. Like there is no bolt. And of course, these things. Like as soon as you unweight them, they just yeah, flutter yeah. off. Yeah. So I'm like way up there with this huge loop of, of slack that is clipped to some ropes, like way down below me. And I'm just like eye to eye level, like uh, with my hands, and just like looking up, and there's no bolt. And I just like uncontrollably start sobbing, like just like a, <laughs> <laughs> and then. 
and then I like finally like after one you know I always say that like one solitary tear just rolled down my cheek and hit my chin and fell into the abyss dude that's poetic I know and then I like got it together and did one more step in my aiders and came up over this little lip and the and the bolt was actually like he'd placed it in this kind of receded like Waco where I couldn't fucking see it Jesus. and yeah so I like that must have been such a moment of relief it was it was amazing so yeah, that anyway. sounds a hell of a lot scarier than the hollow flake <laughs> <laughs> and i think that might be the only time i've ever cried on lead yeah but i have passed out on lead but that's a, that is a story i've told before in the uh, aaron mulkey episode so i'm not going to tell it again okay well i'll have to go back to that, that one. i will all right so you are cutting your teeth you went down to yosemite this first trip 10 years ago all right so you know, had you already decided or when did you decide, like, this is it. I'm, I'm committed to this, like, lifestyle. I'm going to be a climber. I, you know, I don't know if you ever at first thought, like, I'm going to be a professional climber. But clearly you said, this is my thing. Yeah, it was just like, it was the most full value experience I'd ever had. So it was kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, impossible to go, impossible to go back a bit. You know what I mean? Kind of like... Go back yeah. to suburbia. Go yeah, back to yeah. It's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just kind of shelve that one as a good memory, and you know, get a job at the insurance corporation right. here in North Vancouver. You know, it's like I, I wanted more of it, and um, yeah. So we just kind of made more and more trips to the valley and elsewhere, and and it, the valley is a crazy place, right? Because you, you have these really mind bending experiences when you're younger, and then you know, you, you climb the same pitch a couple years later, and you're like, oh, that's totally no big deal, but. Um. Yeah, the, the valley was like the epicenter. It was the place to be. You know, so many, so many legendary characters, and um, yeah, ton of roots I I aspired to climb. Mm-hmm. So, talk about some of your uh, successes there. Then, once you finally figured your shit out and stopped uh, jugging with a haul bag on. Well, one of the for super fun early missions was um, my buddy Jason and I climbed uh, the. The Golden Gate, just okay. over a week, and we just kind of went from the ground up, and it was kind of our first big like vertical camping experience, and didn't pre-inspect any of those upper pitches, and, and that was just super wild, fun time, just kind of piecing it together on the go. How long ago after the first trip was that? That was a bunch of years later. Okay. Yeah, that was be, that, this would be 2009. Okay. Yeah, four years. Yeah. Three years. And, um, yeah... And then I thought that was just the funnest thing, just to kind of embark on the big wall and kind of piece it together as you go up and camp on the wall. It was was one of the funnest trips I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And you guys were successful? Yeah, yeah. I think Jason didn't quite do one pitch, but more or less, yeah. And more or less successful. We'll talk, I mean, I'm trying to think through your resume. Um, uh, What about, didn't you have some sort of flirtation with the prophet? Yeah, I um, I actually I did some filming with Leo on the Prophet, mm-hmm. and the Prophet is a right side route freed by Leo Holding and Jason Pickles and uh, five thirteen super nar scary five twelve. What is yeah? It was, it was a there? super wild effort. Their their original bid because they went from the ground up, so didn't pre inspect anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some of his leads down low. There's one pitch called the Screamer pitch. That's like, like it, I st- I still can't fathom a, a boulder rock climbing effort. Right. 
just having, you know, he just went up there and, you know, it's maybe 13 minus, but like you really have no idea which way you're going. It's like, you know, that crazy cryptic uh, right side of, of El Cap. Like the diorite? The diorite and kind of climbed up a crumbly corner and put in some gear and then just kind of launched into this crazy wild sequence, kind of in that bad to the bone neck of the woods. Yeah, I, I climbed the plastic surgery disaster yeah. over there, and I've always wondered like where it was compared to that. Yeah, I think I'd actually to I, topo. I went up on bad to the bone too, um, okay. on like a one an attempt on a one day like speed thing, and just realized it what that just wasn't my thing. Yeah, I like I can't to imagine. go super slow. Well, yeah, it's like yeah. I think JT wrote it's like be like rushing brain surgery or something. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. anyway, so yeah, so this route exists. Yeah, and Leo wrote about it in uh, I think in Alex Huber's Big Yosemite book, just about his original efforts. And yeah, in 20, 2010, uh, I filmed him climb this A1 beauty pitch. Was at the kind of like near the tippy top of El Cap, and it was one of the most gorgeous splitters I've ever seen. Just kind of barely there on this beautiful pane of granite. And so, I, yeah, I filmed Leo send that pitch, and then that season he climbed it. So I really wanted to do it myself. So that the next that winter I I broke my foot in the UK and the next fall I tried it with Sonny. Mm-hmm. And he Yeah, so we tried those lower pitches the same way Leo had tried them just just from the ground and kind of inching our high point up and backing off a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, on that and we we lowered into the the upper ones, but uh, yeah, anyway, Sonny climbed it on that pit on that trip and I fell off the top of the a1 but came back the next year and and climbed the whole route so dang so did you go did you go over to to uh england that's where you broke your foot did you go over there to specifically to try to like get your head in the game for that kind of thing or was it just a a trip of interest uh well i kind of had a girlfriend over there at the time and so i was yeah i made a few trips over there Mm -hmm. and I, I love the climbing in the UK. I, lo- I love the culture and the uh, the energy for it there. How much they care about it. Right. You know, it's like, it's so cool. And yeah, so I was just dabbling around, climbing with my buddy Tim Emmett when I mm-hmm. when I broke my foot. But um, yeah. Didn't you rip like the, the gear out of like the famous flake on uh, the one from the movie? Yeah, Parthian Shot. Yeah. Yeah. So in true, or what's it called? Hard grit. Hard grit. Yeah. The one where he's got them all nested in there. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't he pitch onto it in the movie? Yeah, he pitches yeah. onto it. And you did too, and it I, all I ripped out. But I, it's funny, like, when I took a look at that flick, I, I was just like, this looks so dicey to me. But I kind of lear- learned a lot from right. that trip. I kind of learned to really trust my own instincts and not and not just say, well, you know, other people have taken the whip, so therefore it's okay. You know, you mm-hmm. kind of have to trust your own spidey insti- instincts and right. be like, you know, you know, treat every uh, experience kind of like as you see it in the moment. As opposed to going off other people's, you know, the history of it all. When you said that, like, it's cool how much they care, and you kind of mm-hmm. kind of smiled, what do you mean by that? Well, like every little, you know, small town, England, uh, cliff, like there's so much writing about it, and um, yeah, maybe on the grit, mm-hmm. you know, like how much 
yeah, how, how much lore there is, right? And how much history, right? Um, I think is really cool. You know, in, in Canada, climbing is not such a big thing right. as it is. You know, in, in the UK, I feel like there's really like there's a, an appreciation for adventure there mm-hmm. that that doesn't exist so much in. In Canada, like, and I mean, I mean, not like for the whole country, you know, like every uni there has a climbing club and, you know, Chris Bonington's a knight, right? And, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's a bigger part of the culture. Sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's encouraged to kind of go for it and, you know, skip the bolts and run it out. And I think it's really cool. Well, yeah, I've always gotten the impression and, and I've never been, but you know, I always joke that like they always, all the film and shots and pictures of the grid are, are close-ups. Because when you pull out, you're, anybody who's never climbed there is going to be like, what? That's yeah. like that's this storied little cliff that everybody's yeah, like totally. flipping out about. You know, because they're, they're pretty small little cliffs. They're, they're tiny little cliffs, yeah. but uh, so much history. Right, and they've just squeezed you know, so, squeeze much so, so much out of them. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, the Canadian climbing heritage is, is like super closely tied, just like a lot of your heritage to you know, to, to the climbing heritage over there. I think, I mean, the U S is as well, but I feel like Canada has a, has like a big legacy of that bold climbing, you know, bringing over these sort of same ethics. For sure. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Definitely in the Canadian Rockies and places like that. So I wanted to ask you back to this profit thing. Um, so when you're climbing up there with a guy like Sonny, Sonny's been on the show. Um, super nice guy probably you know as good a partner as you could possibly get for something like that but still like if you're going up there and you know having to go up and back off pitches repeatedly and start to wrestle internally with a lot of like questioning about well what was this worth it because i remember talking to you i think it was here actually about whether you were going to go back and you were not totally sure and you know whether it was all yeah kind of i had to try it at that point yeah oh you had yet yeah, to try yeah. it yeah so but when, I knew I wanted to get on right. it to kind of maybe yank myself out of the doldrum of being injured. Right. So you're up there, and I just, I don't know if we can get this into words, but what's the dynamic like when you're, you know, because I, I have really good climbing partners that I go over the years on big adventures with, and that as the years have gone by, that like group of people that I'll do that stuff with has gotten really narrow because we can get along and we can like make up for each other's weaknesses and like, but even with those like total homies, you know, I get up on a pitch. I don't want to back off. I don't, I'm, I want to do my part is what it comes down to. Like this is a 50 fish, 50 mission. And this is my pitch. And if I come down, he has to do it or, or whatnot. What was it like to be on something that was so scary and so hard to probably kind of reveal yourself a little bit, get scared, show that fear. Was that a problem at all with you guys up there? Yeah. Sonny has kind of been one of my early mentors and, yeah, there's kind of no guff, you know. I kind of were always really honest with each other, and mm-hmm. he 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 gently kind of took the took the reins. I, I just remember getting up on this one pitch called the not gay pitch, and it's like you have to do this spicy mantle above uh, of I think it's actually an anchor on bad to the bone. It's just a whole bunch of blades in this really shattered rock, and you know if you whip on this mantle, you're gonna fall i'm certain you'll rip out this old belay and then you can maybe rain some blocks down on sunny and uh i backed off that and sunny kind of just i just remember being really dejected and right. chalk splattered on the ledge just 
you know, terrified of re-breaking my foot and just kind of really battling some demons and Sonny just kind of gently taking over the lead saying kind of like, it's all right and it'll come back. And I don't know, it was, it, it was really nice of him. <laughs> what a prince that guy. He is, is a real prince. <laughs> And he just fired it. Yeah, awesome. As he does. Yeah, he's he's an impressive climber. Oh, he's there's no doubt about impressive. it. When it's, it's when it's go time, it's like, yeah, there's no more fooling around. He flips the switch and it's done. Yeah, and I think like it's sometimes hard to to kind of keep straight like how many disciplines that he's good at because you see him in a sport climbing thing and he's like so good at that. You're like, oh, he's a sport climber, and then mm-hmm. oh, but he climbed the profit. I forgot about that, yeah. and he climbed this and he put this up. So yeah, an impressive rock climber that cat. Oh yeah, no, he's he's mega impressive. When you went back, who'd you climb it with? Uh, my buddy Dave Alfrey. Okay, came up there with me and yeah, another prince of a guy. Yeah, like, totally. You know, did the lion's share, the hauling, and. Yeah, it was just awesome to hang out with him up there. Yeah, because even if he's not up there to climb it, like, belaying people on that shit is super stressful. Oh, like, super stressful. Yeah, it's it's like as, as, real, as, as real as it gets. Because he's also committing to, like, all right, well, if he wrecks himself, like, I'm the guy who's getting us out of here, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that must have been pretty intense as well. Yeah, I know. It was, it was really wild. How'd yeah, I've never been so relieved as topping out that route. Right on. Yeah. So how did you get into this place where you could do that mantle all of a sudden or just leave the ground knowing what you were getting into? Can you, I mean, I don't know. Just, just repetition, really. Just kind of right. getting back into it. You know, like that first year with Sonny, I was so terrified of re-breaking my foot and then just kind of climbing a ton that winter and just kind of, you know, like the process of screwing your head on tight. Mm-hmm. It took a while. But, um, yeah, got there in the end, but it was, yeah, it was a really heady time for me trying to, trying to battle through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Your foot's all kind of wobbly still. I couldn't even really walk properly. I was still limping a lot and, you know, I probably shouldn't even have been up there that first year with Sonny, but I kind of needed something that would, uh, that I could aspire to. Right. You know, it was important for me. Right. So... Let me ask you this too. So you, you know, we mentioned very in the beginning of this that you came out of a gym, even though you were climbing outside right away. What do you think is, uh, what do you think it is about taking that path, which is a rare, a more and more rare path, this idea of climbing hard routes that are also scary that, you know, trying to stick to some ethics of ground up like you guys did on, on the, uh, on the golden gate and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. even if it broke down a bit to, to survive the profit (laughs) is basically what it comes down to probably. So what do you think led you and your personality down that path versus going towards what 90% of the people that would have come out of that would have gone towards, which is, you know, hard free climbing, like probably not that scary and, and moving on. It was it a physical thing that you just found yourself good at it. Or is there a mental game that you're sort of willing to play or maybe even find necessary to play to keep your head screwed on? As you just said, yeah, I, th- I think I always romanticize that, that kind of dangerous climbing, maybe to a fault when I was younger. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's such an integral part of climbing. It's kind of what I, le- I love best. I, I get kind of bored sport climbing, mm-hmm. to be honest. It doesn't, doesn't really do it for me to the same degree. Like I think a guy like Sonny is just happy as a clam to do it. I kind of, I need that, that, um, yeah, that danger element, um, 
And yeah, a lot of it I think comes back to like the literature and like, you know, reading Leo's piece about the prophet was just like, you know, you don't, you don't really get those like total white knuckle tales, like with people clipping bolts and rifle. No. Like if you ever, I don't know if you ever read his piece, but it's just super wild. Like him going up there from the ground, just not knowing what's going to happen. And I, I was always really enthralled by that kind of stuff. And yeah, I, I wanted to see if I could stack up too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it, isn't yeah. it? And that, that's also in the literature. I mean, that's part of like all those guys that are driving each other with this like unspoken competition of who can stack up and who's worthy and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And that was definitely a factor. So it seems like, and uh, I mean, that was like a, maybe not a last cause that's, that's too final, but you know, that ascent seems to have represented like a, almost a closing of the door on that style. I mean, maybe there's just not a lot of room for it anymore, but, you know, the whole El Cap free climbing thing has gone like so far in the other direction in terms of previewing and, and getting things sorted out long before you have to go up into the NAR. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm missing something, but does that seem like a, a pretty close assessment? I would say, I would say so. I just think nobody was quite as out there as Leo, you know, like I, I certainly would never have the the balls to to do what he did from, right. you know, from the ground and like on those original attempts like at least we knew kind of where to go like yeah. the guy was seriously going into no man's land and taking whips yeah and yeah it's i mean it, it it's so mega dangerous at the end of the day like i think i think i don't know for sure but i feel like kind of leo had his his moment in the sun of, of being motivated for that and then he at the end of the day came in from the from the top down and kind of sorted it out that way himself so right um, yeah, so it, I think one factor would be how finite of a resource it is, like, um, that kind of style that w- would lend itself to that. Right. And yeah, it's, and it's just like incredibly dangerous. So as you kind of, uh, as you did that, as you topped out on it, um, I always wonder, like, you, I've spoken on the show about this before, but, you know, there's this weird anticlimactic moment to almost all like hard climbing i mean maybe if you like on site something like you i think you sort of stay jazzed but a lot of times when you put so much work into something then it becomes this thing where when you finally do it you're like all right well that was that was gnar you know when you topped out on that like what i'm I'm like trying to understand what it might feel like but can you put it into words like did you like you know i almost feel like maybe like you'd have like a sort of depression come over you i don't know or pull this thing out of your life and i've talked to other people that have said sort of things like that of like i put so much effort into it then there was like this missing thing after i like finish it off yeah and what do you do now like go and try to climb midnight lightning or yeah well on that one i was pretty amped we right we had a couple of cobras on top at like 10 in the morning and hiked off and nice but um i kind of felt that after after this last bugaboo's mission there's there's definitely a couple months of yeah yeah, kind of like a little bit listless, kind of don't know where to take it next. Oh, we'll talk about that then. Talk about that. Well, I wanted to get to the bugaboo mission. Yeah, so, so but, but on the profit itself, yeah. I, I was just jacked. Oh, cool. Super amped to have kind of, yeah. Lived. Out. I'm yeah. alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It must have felt like a little bit like that, like you just jumped out of the jaws of death. Yeah, at a certain point on the profit, you kind of reach this halfway mark and then the route kind of, chills out a lot oh, okay yeah but that that a1 beauty pitch for for anybody who 
might be up to the task. It's, it's, it is the, I think, you know, along with this thing in the bugaboos and the cobra crack, but it's one of the prettiest, coolest splitters I've ever had the joy of climbing on. And, um, it's cool because it's a, it borders an arete too. So it just kind of adds that element of exposure mm-hmm. as well. So that was just a super dreamy pitch to climb. Mm-hmm. And that was, not, is that, does that finish with some sort of scary bit? Yeah. 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 It's pretty run out. But yeah. at that point, you're, you know, you're, you're so hell bent that it doesn't even compute the, the scariness, at least yeah. for me. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it would definitely compute on my brain. Yeah. I was so pumped out of my tree. I was just like so hell bent to get to the anchor. Nice. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So let's move to the bugaboos thing then. That's kind of like you're, you just got done with that. Yeah. At, uh, in August. Yeah. So exp- talk about that uh, in terms of the whole mission and how it, I mean, it took you a couple of years. Four summers. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's an old, um, Daryl Hatton aid line and Daryl's kind of a legendary Squamish climber. Uh, I put up with this guy, John Simpson in 1981 and it's, I think it's the most beautiful line in the bugaboos. It kind of, it splits this, uh, kind of diamond shaped head wall on the East States of snow patch spire. And the very first time I went into the bugs, I, I asked my buddy Chris Brazo, I was like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's a, the Tom Egan Memorial Route, old Daryl Hatton FA from the early 80s. So, yeah, it took a few years, but um, uh, Hazel Finlay and I rappelled down it, I believe, in 2010. And I just was, like, totally blown away. It was like the, we kind of called it, like, the, the cobra crack of the mountains. It was just like this tips crack that went on for three pitches up this you know white to orange headwall in the bugaboos and i i was totally enthralled and uh a couple I, then i broke my foot after that and then a couple years later i kind of came back in earnest to try it with my buddy matt siegel um yeah and we did we just kind of augured in we spent probably close to 150 days on the wall itself um the biggest question mark of the ascent was kind of like finding a way into this crack. Like the first like 80 feet is this knife blade seam. So that wasn't going to go free. So we, we spent days and days just kind of swinging around with our noses to the granite, looking for a, a free line up this, this chunk of rock. And, and Matt actually was, he spotted kind of like one crimp and then another crimp and then another kind of all these invisible side pulls coming in from a neighboring route. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we bolted it and, by the end of that first summer, we, we had a we had a line. It was just it was just way too hard for us. So it took a few more years to to get strong enough to climb it. So what what were the difficulties aside? So you have this face climbing pitch, yeah, and then but it seemed like wasn't the the killer the 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 crack? No, the, the crack was hard. I mean, it was right. It's, it's probably the hardest crack pitch I've ever climbed, but it wasn't as hard as this face pitch, okay. which was just this slippery side poles and razor blade cramps and just you know that really techy granite climbing where you know a, a subtle twist of the hips and you're off and just kind of really conditions dependent but right. you're, you're hanging out in the bugaboos you're hanging out in the mountains so it's not like you go home if conditions aren't right, right. you're just kind of sitting up in a tent up there just kind of getting pissed on by the rain and you know, it was kind of a grind what did you do to prepare I mean, were you were you leaving and then being like, all right, I gotta be I gotta a butter boulder, yeah, I gotta be, because it sounds like maybe it was pretty bouldery as a as a roped climb goes, anyhow. Yeah, it was 
yeah, I was really bouldery. I I got into some like dead hangs. Actually, Jonathan Seagreast was like, he's like, man, in Spain last year, he's like, dude, a finger strings holding you back, man. You just gotta lock yourself in a in a you know in a in a cave and dangle with some weights on. And I, I kind of was against that for years because I was kind of figured it would hurt my fingers, but it does hurt your fingers. But you just put you it, got put it, it away. Yeah. Anyway, um, and also I had a job like uh, doing like helping this tree trimmer guy in in West Vancouver. And so I'd kind of like I'd heave these blocks of wood around all day, and then I'd go dangle with um, with weights on. And uh, I thought it actually duplicated like big wall free climbing like really well, which is essentially just like a hell of a lot of manual labor interspersed with like some really hard bouts of climbing. Right. <laughs> like so a th- few little bouts yeah, of climbing so with like, a ton of work. You're just like doing a whole bunch of manual labor and then and then dangling with weights. I, I highly recommend it. So when you guys <laughs> went in to do it and you ended up doing it, did you uh, feel like it was like, like I've got this or was it, did, were you looking at maybe another summer of like not being able to pull it off? Oh yeah, it was... I t- we totally didn't know if we'd have it or not. Mm-hmm. I-, I knew that I was stronger, but everything's got to come together. You got to get a decent weather window. You know, we'd have good days and we'd have really bad days. You know, on the bad days, you we wouldn't even be able to match our old high points, mm-hmm. which is really demoralizing, not being able to like remotely come close to your old high point. And, um, but yeah, Matt was just a super stellar partner and he, he came achingly close to climbing that face, but came up short and that was kind of, Made the whole experience kind of bittersweet, to be honest. Right, right. It wasn't. It wasn't the fairy tale ending I'd hoped for. There wasn't a dawn wall ending. No, with with hugs on top. No, we just kind of hustled it down as soon as we could. We right. could, we got nailed by this crazy electrical storm at the top, and yeah, we just zipped down the wraps, and yeah, it was pretty mind bending. I'm still kind of a little bit. <laughs> kind of processing the whole experience well i wanted to ask you a couple things about that in terms of um you know it's like one of these things that got it was got on everybody's radar i mean you know you have sponsors matt has sponsors and it kind of came on everybody's radar like long before you ever did it and you know in a lot of ways like the dawn wall was an example of that because they could have failed and like then what like you know all the all this sort of spray for nothing so yeah did that ever like occur to you like that there was like this kind of weird pre-spray on this project that may or may not have ever even been climbed yeah i kind of like if i if i could have avoided that i probably would have but i i feel like you know the day in the, in the age that we live in like mm-hmm. people want to know what you're up to and i was basically checked out for four four solid summers and you can't just you know it's just a reality you know you yeah. gotta say what you're up to and right um. Yeah, in a perfect world, I think I would have skipped all the the Instagramming and all that stuff. But <laughs> but uh, you know, we don't live in that. We world don't live anymore. in that world. You know, right. it'd be it'd be nice to. But at the end of the day, people kind of yeah, they're interested in what well, you're up to. Was it was it on a cover or something? Yeah, I was on the cover of Ascent, a Rock and Ice Annual. Right. Yeah. Is that before or after it got done? A couple of years before. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Kempel came up and shot some photos right. of us for a few days. Right. Yeah. Although that pitch had been done. No, I, I oh. still hadn't led that. Oh, really? No, I I mean, I top roped it, but I, leading it was a fully different story. That's interesting. That used to be a problem. Well, you know, I know. I've always been against it for years. <laughs> I was totally against uh, ever posing on something I hadn't done. I was like mega against it. Mm-hmm. But... 
yeah, maybe I just got a little bit more comfortable. I was like, I knew this thing was hard, and right. you know, if somebody wanted to go up there and try and scoop us, and you know, maybe it would have been a bummer. But all the power to them. It's you know, it's, it's not it wasn't like it was in the valley. It was like it's a march in there in the bugaboos and. Right, yeah. I, I, I didn't really care right. at the end of the day, you know. Right. Like I knew the thing was really tough, and yeah, T- Tim was fired up to come up and kind of just share the stoke. So I don't know. I try not to look into it too much. And, yeah, well, it's a big, it's a rad pitch, and it's a rad shot. There's no doubt about it. Like, I mean, it's inspiring crack as far as they go. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I knew, I knew as soon as I when I first rappelled down it, I knew that it was like the most out there splitter that that I'll ever find. How long was it? That particular pitch. Yeah. That's like, I think it's close to 30 meter pitch. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was such cool experiences trying to lead it too on those first lead attempts because you're just kind of, you're perched on these micro jams with like a string of like purple master cams underneath you and, and like the alpine wonderland of the bugaboos. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, what an experience. It was such a joy to climb on. It's, it's good rock though. Yeah. It doesn't get any better. Right. So it's like perfect. Alpine granite. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you could take screamers. Right. And we did. Right. We took lots. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you don't stop to sew those things up. No, it was like totally <laughs> go time. And just like, just the magic amount, like a face holds, like when the crack petered out, there a magic face hold would appear. The same with that, uh, that face pitch leading into it. It's mm-hmm. just like one less hold and it would forever remain a project. Mm-hmm. And a couple more holds and we would have done it in um, the first season right 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 so it's just kind of that magic realm of just too hard that really made us you know up our game right just too hard but not 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 impossible you know and that's you don't find that every day no i mean it's really it's it's kind of hard a hard conception to realize that as these things get harder they're like rarer yeah because the difference between climbable and not climbable starts to become so minuscule yeah, it's really wild. It kind of makes you believe that there's a free climbing higher power up there. That well, it makes you want to drop in a little harder and try a bit better. And yeah, it's a, it's a gift. Yeah, and because and I think too with hard climbing on granite, that's like that's really the total rule. Like you know, honestly, like on really steep, hard, like limestone sport climbing, a lot of times move for move. You know, if you were to like grab the crux hold and, and show it to somebody in a gym, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I could probably use that. I mean, it's not usable yeah. because it's on a, you know, it's on a 45-degree overhang, which is what makes it hard. But the actual holds are like something even a kind of average climber can conceive of using. Yeah. But when you get into like the hard granite bouldering and the hard granite like climbing in general, that's where I've always thought that like a normal layperson's conception of climbing is like a smooth piece of, you know, like hard climbing just means it's like smooth, yeah. You know? And then you're like, well, no. Sometimes it's steep. And you're trying to explain it, yeah. but with granite climbing, that's like as close to climbing on like a piece of drywall, oh, yeah. you know, a smooth. With, I think they use that with with El Cap with the Donwall thing of like, you know, climbing the, the the your bedroom wall or something like that, or climbing drywall or something like that. But you get there with that kind of climbing. yeah. No, it's it's totally out there to be like perched on a wall like that, like an, an overhanging looks totally blank wall in the in the mountains yeah you know and it's only through it was mostly matt's like bullheaded determination like mm-hmm. there's got to be a way through here and we get snuffed out so many times looking like you know finding a crimp and another crimp and another crimp and then kind of getting blanked out but he yeah. just kind of you know we just kind of kept looking even when it seems super bleak and it's yeah all the pieces of the puzzle were there 
All right, so we got into this bugaboo thing when you when I asked that question about like the post climbing sort of uh, bewilderment, and mm-hmm. you mentioned yeah, it was a lot worse with the with uh, with the the root and the bugaboos, which is you guys just kept the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom, I think Tom Egan was a a friend of Daryl Hatton's who, yeah. who died in a small plane crash. Yeah, we'll see. That's like proper. Oh yeah, don't There's rename no the roots. Yeah, no, we named the pitches just for fun, but that's it. So uh, tell me about that. And this was just this summer. Uh, about uh, the kind of bewilderment? Yeah, the post-climbing kind of thing. Yeah, it was just, I don't know, I guess something you've been striving for for a long time and kind of having as this, you know, maybe thinking of it a little bit as like a trophy and something you really want to try and achieve. And then you, it, it's an old cliche, but at the end of the day, like the reason we were able to climb it is kind of, really focusing on the process and enjoying being in the mountains and in trying to enjoy the little things. And that was kind of what allowed it to happen. But back to your question about feeling all burnt out at the top. Um, yeah, it's hard to explain striving for something for that long. And then, yeah, kind of thinking about what's next. I, I don't have the answers. Yet, but I will. <laughs> well, what did you sort of learn about from that experience about what, you know, will motivate you in the future? Is this something like, all right, I'm on to my next thing, like these big mountain routes? Or, you know, did you have any sort of revelation like that? Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to get into some kind of long link ups and things that are just a little bit more more climbing, mm-hmm. less less thumb twiddling, looking at your rip fingers in a tent right so, so you want to go the opposite way yeah I, I i really love that like i climbed the free ride during a day with my buddy jesse huey a couple of years ago and it was just like the most fun just climbing the whole route in a day and kind of consistent you know moving consistently up with a partner you really trust that I, I really like that mm-hmm. so i think i'm gonna get more into that and I, I don't know if i'll ever go as deep into like the, the alpine big wall project i think that's kind of my yeah, the high the high water mark for for me at least. But the other thing I wanted to add about that route is that there's like not a single no hand stance on that entire four pitch head wall. So you know if Adam Andre or uh, Alex Migos ever got into crack climbing, it, it would be such a joy to watch one of those guys try and link the whole thing ledge to ledge. You How know, many meters would that be? Eighty plus. Right. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's all there, you know, like a la UG on the South, uh, you know, the style can always be up. So, right. We did our best, but it, w- it would be a real honor if one of those young guns could try and link all those stuff ledge to ledge. Yeah. I wonder what, I wonder what, where those people will come from. Yeah. If those but guys yeah, will be the guys or the people will come from to keep pushing that kind of style because it's definitely like a, I don't know. It seems like we we said about El Cap or whatever. It's like this disappearing style in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, it's kind of cool, you know, like you have different generations battling it out on, on the same pane of rock, just like the Dawn Wall, you know, from Harding to, to Caldwell mm-hmm. and Jorgensen. Like, like it, it's kind of cool how these certain pieces of rock, you know, you can the same standards are being upped on the, on the same canvas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. kind of makes you feel like you have uh, like a certain connection to the past and it's, I think it's really cool so you kind of mentioned that uh, Sonny was a sort of mentor both 
maybe before you ever met him, yeah, all the way up to actually climbing with him. Who you know what? what who else could you sort of point to as you know somebody, some folks that you've learned some stuff from? The reason I ask that is because you know the type of climbing you're engaging in. I think it's just it's definitely that type of pursuit to where you know learning from the people who've come before is like a really important thing. And uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not more so than sport climbing or something like that. But who else can you sort of point to as either great partners or or folks that either figuratively by inspiring you who you read about or like literally climbing with them, like turned you on to some new way of thinking or a way of doing things? Uh, a few people come to mind. Uh, Brooks Handall, hugely he, uh, with his... His ground-up approach to, to free-climbing big walls, like um, Mount Watkins, and he also did some really cool things in, in the Cascades up in Can- up in uh, Washington State. And, uh, yeah, Leo Holding, similar, you know, like basically guys that have really good ideas, you know, like Leo's bid on the profit wasn't just an audacious, cool idea. And Brooke the same way. Um, Peter Croft, you know. I, I respect people that the look outside the box, mm-hmm. you know, they the kind of see things in a different way and try and up the ante, not by doing what had been done before, but by, uh, yeah, just trying things in, in a new way that I find that really inspiring. And, and a lot of the, the Squamish Canadian legends, Hamish Fraser, Perry Beckham, Greg Fowerker, a lot of those guys I, I really looked up to as a kid. And, and they're all just really nice guys beyond, mm-hmm. beyond that. You know, it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how hard you climb if you're an asshole, right? Those guys are just, awesome awesome people um and i think that's a huge part of it so how old are you now 29 29 years old so i i hit i hit sunny with this and um another another one of your fellow canadians who's you know politely humble but uh what what do you think when i when someone says or i say that you now are in a position to be the guy that maybe young climbers coming up or looking up to because certainly from the Canadian contingent, I've, I've heard, I've gotten emails like, you gotta have Will Stanhope on the show. He's the man, you know, like what do you think of that in terms of your position to be the next kids here is like, yeah, you know, it's Will Stanhope. He was like really inspiring when I saw pictures of him doing this. Yeah. It's really flattering. It's kind of, yeah, I, I try not to think about it too much, you know, <laughs> I, I'm sure Sonny says something similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got all embarrassed. So. Yeah, I, that's why that's I thought. A, I'd yeah, it's a, I feel the same way. You know, like I save that question for my Canadian guests only. By the way, <laughs> oh really? Yeah, um, yeah, that's really nice of them to say that. I kind of just did my own thing, and if and if they're inspired by some of the stuff I've done, then two thumbs up. You do, know? You, do you feel it? I mean, do you get folks coming up to you and like? I get it more and more for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you look away and well, no, it's, it's and, nice. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. honestly, it is really cool to to inspire people. You know, I, I think that's awesome. You know, I not not to negate that. I, I think it's great. Um, yeah, you know, and in ten years, you know, some kids gonna link the entire Egan ledge to ledge, right? And I'll be the first in line to have hand them an ice cold kokanee. Folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Will for sitting down. Nerves of steel, that guy. 
young generation trad climbers. He's leading that. Okay, folks, remember that if you want to help out the podcast, you can go to enormacast.com. You can click on the Help Out tab, follow the instructions, bunch of stuff to do there, including donating if you feel as though this is worth some of your hard-earned money, and also consider supporting our sponsors with that hard-earned money. And then take some of it and uh, join the Access Fund. Or actually, why don't you join the Access Fund first, and then give some to the Enormacast, and then buy something from our sponsors, or buy something from our sponsors, give some of the Enormacast. Or you know what you can do? You know what I just did is I just donated to El Cap Report. What's the El Cap Report? That's Tom on the bridge, taking pictures, posting pictures, talking about conditions in the valley day by day. It's a really interesting and kind of funky news source. But yeah, El Cap Report. Check it out, even if you're not going to give them some money. ElCapReport.com. Have any money left? All right, take some of it and go climbing. Jesus Christ, just go climbing. Put some gas in your car get out there. And when you're out there, of course, don't forget to check your knot. Being safe doesn't cost a fucking thing. Well, helmets cost money. Anyway, everything costs money. What the media uh, tells us about America isn't even close to true. Everyone seems to be doing all right down here, eh? So here's 10 things that you ought to know about this land, especially if you're from the north. Number one, they don't think soakers are a big deal. They don't even have a word for soaker. Now, where we're from, up in Canada, stepping through an ice puddle and getting that freezing cold water in your boot, it's the worst feeling in the universe. And it's so bad that when you finally get a warm sock on an hour later, oh my God, that feels like heaven. And if you're American, you don't know what I'm talking about. You know when you're in the pool and you have a wet bathing suit and then you put on underwear from the dryer on your cold buns and it just feels like heaven? That's what it feels like to end a day of a soaker. But you guys don't even talk about soakers. I don't get it. Sorry about that. Dude, look how old we are, dude. They're like, hello? Can you hear me? I know. It's ridiculous. Jesus. So, so what did you do? You feel old? You poor little baby yeah. this week? Oh, man, you know, I just, I mean, I'm just been going pretty hard all the time, and uh-huh. I've just been carrying on doing that and feeling a little bit beat up. And at the beginning of this week, I was, I was out climbing with this kid who's like, you know, 25 or something. I think he even said, he was like, man, you look a little tired. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just feeling a little old and tired. He's like, how old are you? And I was like, oh, you know, 33. And he's like, man, I hope I'm not, like, past it or something when I'm when I'm your age. And I was like, whoa, whoa. I'm a little <laughs> tired today, dude. I'm not, like, throwing in the towel here. Speaking of Jesus, this is your Jesus year, so. Yeah, I know. I got, 
I've been on it for a while now. I got till August, so I got yeah. some stuff done here. Yeah, Basically yeah. making me look bad, for sure. Well, you know, they say, too, that your mental faculties start to uh, basically decline after 33. So Perfect. Anyway, so you got, like, yeah, you got, like, three more months. Three more um, good months. Yeah. yeah and then, so then, like, last night I, I'm, I've been uh, coaching a lot more. Uh-huh. And I've been working at this new kind of, like, training center thing, like, helping really get it off the ground at the front climbing gym and stuff right. like And so I was, like, showing this, you know, guy that I'm coaching how to do, like, a front lever on the, on the gymnastic rings. And I had, like, climbed in the gym earlier in the day, like, hours ago. But, like, I'm, like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm like, warmed up enough to, like, do, to demonstrate. I wasn't, like, working mm-hmm. out. I was literally demonstrating to this guy. And I fully, like, threw my back out or, like, whatever, you know, like, popped a rib out of place or something, like, like instantaneously. But <laughs> but I'm, like, showing this guy how to do this workout, so I didn't want to, like, show him that I was that I just hurt myself. So I just sat there <laughs> and grinned and bear it for the next 45 minutes of exercise demonstration to this guy. This this felt pathetic. Anyway, that's my sob story moment. Yeah, that, I can't really complain. Life's pretty good. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're doing okay. So you're you're yeah. sort of be you sort of become like more of a of a professional climber since you were on the Enormcast. What was that like two years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you do yeah. you sort of attribute those successes to your Enormcast appearance generally? Oh, sure, man. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> a lot of people aren't that conscious of it. I'm glad that you're aware that that that's probably what shot you into the stratosphere, or at least. The, oh yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, people stop me on the streets in Salt Lake City, and they're like, right. "Dude, that enormous cast." Yeah. Like, Some, somehow they know what you look like from listening to it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, um, I, I wanted to ask you, you. You premiered a film here in uh, in. Carbondale, actually, just uh, like what was it a month ago now? Shit, yeah, about a month yeah, ago. Yeah, um, yeah, and not even. Yeah, the width of life, which uh, featured our good lost friend Dave Pegg, um, mm-hmm. which was a nice uh, place to premiere it here in the valley where he has so many friends. So, tell me about that film a little bit. Um, yeah, so this was uh, you know a project idea that. I guess I had, um, and, uh, Black Diamond, um, who's, uh, you know, my, my main climbing sponsor, a company I have a great relationship with, and is, is always doing, sort of looking to do something more, which I really, really appreciate, mm-hmm. um, had expressed to us athletes ambassadors that they wanted, uh, they're making these, these short films called DDTV and wanting to do things that were more than just, climbing porn and ski porn, um, mm-hmm. stories that were really about people, about the community, about, you know, just something a little bit more real. You know, we, we, were, we were having an athlete summit. We were all together in Salt Lake City. And it just it was something that had uh, occurred to me as, I don't know, a valuable story to tell beyond our community of folks down the western slope of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the early, I think I, I mentioned in the film uh, earlier. I'd been out climbing with some folks in, in Western Colorado after Dave passed, and we were talking about you know all of the 
the project that Dave still had, you know, started as far as a route develop route development goes, and just you know, uh, this uh, amongst so much of other sadness, how sad it was that just to see like his fixed lines hanging off the cliff, and like you know, those things would just sit there unless someone did something about it, and so I don't know, it just kind of came together in my mind as uh, a cool story to tell to let people know what what happened to Dave because I think it's not, you know, in isolation. I, I, I think people suffer from depression obviously in all over the place and in, in different walks of life, but in our climbing community, I think it's something that's come up a, a few different times pretty recently mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that felt relevant as Dave being my friend and me personally dealing with his loss, it felt relevant. Is I felt really fortunate to have the opportunity through BD to be able to just say like, "Hey, I got this idea, man, and and this is important to me." And I don't know, do you guys think this is a, a good idea or a worthwhile project? And it kind of just went from that an initial conversation to mm-hmm. six months later, we were showing up in Carbondale, and I was super fortunate to get. People like Lee Sheftel and Jeff Aki, who took over Wolverine Publishing, and Andrew Bishrat to really be a part of the project as well. And I think that was uh, paramount in the success of it. And, um, yeah, we, we went out to the distillery, this new crag, and uh, I learned how to drill bolts, which was awesome. Right. I was sort of surprised how many people came up to me and were like, yeah, man, you know, like, you know, like it took, must have taken a lot to admit that you didn't know how to drill a bolt. And I was like, right. really? Like, I mean, I just hadn't done it yet. Like, I was, right, right. I, I was, I was climbing. I, was, I really right. like climbing. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's true that you know, root development is a not something for everybody, and b, you know, I think if you do it right, uh, it doesn't come until later in your career. I mean. Because the fact is, is that, you know, until you've climbed a bunch of roots and a bunch of good roots, it's not always the best idea to just hand somebody with no experience a drill anyway. Um, totally. So they kind of have an idea of where those bolts go. And, you know, we've all been to cliffs where somebody with not a ton of experience started, you know, tearing the place up with bolts, and uh, the results aren't always that great. But um, That was always my concern was yeah. without any guidance, mentorship, I would just, just totally ruin what could have been a potentially cool rock climb. Right, right. A terrible one. Yeah, that, 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 is a, that is a deep concern. Yeah, it can be changed and fixed. You know, that you don't get that first shot again. But I wanted to ask you something else that uh, uh, was sort of thoughtful on my mind, and, and you actually called me in in uh, preparation for, you know, totally. choosing this project. Like, what were your concerns? You know, the truth is, is you know, Black Diamond – uses these videos to promote their brand, you know, you use use them, you know, in conjunction with those guys to promote the brand and, and uh what were your concerns in terms of dealing with a sensitive project and having it sort of seen as, you know, just another commercial for Black Diamond or whatnot? And how did you uh how did you sort of go about uh dealing with those concerns before you made the project? You know, I mean that was definitely a concern, right? I mean these are on some level, marketing videos, and that this was so important to me and, you know, serious, heavy subject. Mm-hmm. I was only going to go along with making this project happen and being involved with it if I, like, genuinely felt 
that we were doing it in the right way, which was not just sort of glorifying Dave and Dave's life, but really also um, getting a little bit into what were his struggles, which were ultimately, you know, too much for him. Mm -hmm. And so being honest with that part of it and not sort of like fitting it like all together with this like nice bow and tie of like, oh, you know, sadness, and then here I come, and I put the bolts in, and whoopee, and, like, you know, everything, you know, like, it, it just, it had to be really honest, for one, mm-hmm. um, and to, and I just, and I also just wanted to make sure, even if I thought it was uh, being done in, in a genuine way that not only honored Dave, but also, like, recognized the real struggle he was going through, but that the people in the community were also also felt good about the project we were doing, and mm-hmm. even just even if they thought it was a good project, but like, hey man, this is you know too early, or, or like we just don't need to like be putting this out there, or like it's you know too hard for for anyone. I I, I would have just pulled the plug on it, right? Because right. that's the that's what a lot about what this whole film is about too. Is it's about Dave, it's about me, but it's about our whole rock climbing community, particularly out there in Western Colorado. So that was mm-hmm. when I reached out to, to you, uh, I think to Josh Gross, who was, uh, you know, a close friend of Dave and route developer, to Jeff Aki, to Lee, to Andrew. I just wanted to, you know, talk to the people whose opinion I felt represented our community out there and, you know, who would also be honest with me, right? Like, Lee, Lee would have never been like, Sure, Dan, that sounds like a great idea when you really thought that was a terrible idea. Yeah, no, no, he definitely would not have, have said yes to yeah, something no he didn't agree with. Expected. You would have sure got it for me, and I certainly know Bisharat wouldn't have. So, mm-hmm. You know, I definitely was like, all right, whose you know, opinions do I respect, think to represent the community, and will just be blatantly honest with me? When when you called me, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think I said yes or no, but, um, you know, it was just something I wanted to make sure that you... As like, uh, I mean, you're not young. Oh, shit, you're 33. Um, younger than oh. me. And, and, you know, I know a lot of times people get really amped up about, you know, their sponsors and working with them and doing the right thing. And, and, you know, so just to sort of like, you know, tread into it with, uh, with sensitivity to the community. But, um, but in the end, you know, I, I watch it premiere on the big screen and it like totally, you know, tugged at my heartstrings, which was, you know, what you, what, what what it should have done, and I mean, it's mostly about Dave. You know, you're right. sort of playing this part in it, but uh, yeah, it was great it was to really see it on the big screen here. And I think you guys did a really nice job, and uh, you know, it's not like the end all tribute to the man, but it's a nice piece to have in terms of our memories of the guy. I think totally. Like, I'm really glad that I wasn't the star of the movie. That's not mm-hmm. what the intention of the project was. For one, um, for two, I. I, Dave and I were close and we were friends, but I wasn't like out to make like the tribute that like, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think it was just a perspective on a situation and a story to tell and, and a story to share with people. And that's actually, so I, I after, uh, in addition to coming to Five Point, I've, I've been to Austin, Texas and to Seattle mm-hmm. and to Denver and, uh, here in Salt Lake presenting the video um, over the last month. And I was just really, like, each time I presented it, the number of people who came up to me afterwards and, like, 
were able to relate to the project on some level, you know, mm-hmm. really loosely connected to someone else they knew or, you know, on, on so many different levels that, that to me like really also helped validate it and feel like it was, we did it, we, we had it, you know, it, it was a success just because people who otherwise, you know, wouldn't have known that that kind of thing has been going on in a different arena or could have just made it, had a, had a new connection to climbing or to someone mm-hmm. else or to me. Um, I don't know. That that part was like super valuable and definitely made me feel like, you know, this story, this project or whatever it was, um, had some value to a lot of people, you know. Right on. Well, cool. Well, thanks for chatting with me about it. Anything else you want to tell, uh, tell us about it? Um, well, you know, I definitely, as a climber, uh, I need to like, well, I don't know why I need to say this, but, uh, I, 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 I haven't yet finished the route, which is, is really uh, bothering me. I just haven't made it to Colorado to go climbing recently. Um, right. So, for the route still stands, which, you know, is obviously not the point of the project at all. Right. But, um, you know, I think, uh, I have every intention. I guess, I, uh, setting my, setting myself up to, you know, stay committed to this thing and, and to see it through and do it. Um, right. So feel free to be run into me and bug me about it. Uh, For sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I look forward to coming back and, and finishing the route. And um, But obviously it's, it's open to anyone who wants to come show up at the distillery and climb on it. Sure. Uh, it's there, ready to roll. Yeah, it's, and, probably, uh, it's probably soaked right now, but who knows. Yeah. yeah man. What, I, know that cliff, I know that cliff is still wet. So, yeah. Um, anyway, cool. Well, uh, why don't I let you get back to your rehab then? Um, hopefully you're not going to be down for the count for too long. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to be all right. I just had an ambi turner right now. So I can you just what? At the moment. I'm not an ambi turner, Chris. Oh, I, can oh, I see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, well, you know, the take stuff for granted. Um, it's easy to take stuff for granted, like being able to turn both directions. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this, Dan. And um, you know, let us know or let me know when you uh, come over to the Western Slope, and I'll get yeah. up there with you if you need a belay. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, it was really nice to get to meet your little guy at the film fest for a second, yeah. and uh, I enjoyed the show at the Nugget. You guys ripped it up that night. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty fun night. Um, it was pretty packed in there. I didn't end up really talking to anybody. I just stayed on stage even during the break. Um, oh, dude, it was steamy in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Right on, Dan. Well, thanks for giving me a ring. All right, Chris. It was great talking to you, man. I'll look forward to seeing you soon.